Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Hey, everybody. I'm Dr. Lisa. Thanks for listening. So um, here at the Radio Free Brooklyn studios, uh, it is Radio Free Brooklyn is the absolute best radio station in the Western Hemisphere. And um, I mean, it's been documented many times and I'm really glad that you're listening in. And you know, the thing is, like right now, it's really important to help support media that says whatever the fuck we want to say. So you should go to our uh, Patreon page on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash Patreon and donate just a little bit of money. Come on, you know, give up one of those Starbucks or anything. And and uh, I think, is this still tax deductible? I don't know. we got to find out. But uh, you're not going to give us enough money that it's going to make a difference. Anyway, uh, so things are going well. I think they're going well. I uh, may be getting some work. Uh, so uh, that always Makes, that helps my self-esteem. Like I was just saying that no matter what you get, if you get paid for it, it will help your self-esteem. So if you've been filling out any job applications at fast food restaurants, whatever it is, it's good for you, okay? So uh, my guest today, I'm very, very excited to have him on. He's right here. He's giggling to himself. Are you going to be giggling? I'm going to, are you blushing? It's uh, Sean J. Patrick Carney. <laughs> Do you guys know who he is? He's very, he's um a multifaceted, multi-talented person. Uh I I he okay. So I was trying to think of how I can describe him to you folks if you don't if you don't know who he is, you should look him up, go to his website uh humorandtheabject.com. That's abject a b j e c t and look him up, but um here's all the titles well, this is the title of his general website. There's a so these are all the categories that he has ma- I believe has mastered. I know he doesn't want to hear me say that, but I'm going to tell you that I think he's mastered them. Performance, visual art, video art, writing, humor and the jet. He's knocked that out of the park. And then about he's had like, you know, he has interviews. He he writes for like all these art publications. So we start, when he came in today as a way of warming up, I uh, let him know that I was intimidated by him, which I think is like the best way to start, make somebody feel awkward the minute they walk in so that it's all uphill. But we had a kind of interesting discussion. Um, let me just tell you really quickly why I'm intimidated by him and then we'll, we'll get his reaction. We had a little chat about it, but let's see how it goes now. So the thing is, is that... Um, Sean and I are interested in some of the same areas, right, Sean? Indeed. And uh, those areas are humor and art and the intersection of them, right? But Sean is way more, I don't know, smarter, intellectual. He's a great writer. He knows shit. He's read a lot, more than I have, and he's able to write very well about this. And on the other hand, he's also managed to form relationships with all the people that I look up to. So basically, Sean is part of the cool crowd. So Sean, does that does that <laughs> does that make any sense to you? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, 
Thank you for saying that. I, I, I'll, I'm both a little bit embarrassed by it because I'm embarrassed by most things, but it's also, it's a really nice compliment. Thank you. And I think I said to you before we went on air that uh, I understand the feeling because I'm intimidated by a lot of people, uh, people who I, I don't know if they would know that I'm very intimidated by them, but it, it's a pretty frequent thing for me. Um, so you, you handle it better than I do. Like you don't just go blurt out to them that you're intimidated by them. I'm too intimidated to tell them that oh, I'm intimidated by them. I see, think so. You you've got you're a step ahead of me. You're a little um, more self actualized in that well, regard. Well, I, I don't know, but um, I know that um, if we were going to do therapy here today, that I needed to tell you this countertransference, or otherwise, this is what I was afraid I would do. I was afraid that I would wind up attacking you, attacking me, because I would either be jealous or intimidated or. <laughs> Uh, you know, something like feeling lesser than. So I put it out there right away. Oh, and actually, I don't think you should feel that way at all. Well, I actually feel like about a billion times more comfortable than I did with you like 20 minutes ago. So, Well, I felt uncomfortable because when I came in, the iPad took a photo of my face and I didn't know. I, you have to check in when you come in the building for yeah, anybody who's listening. that's and, right. And it, uh, I signed in and then it took, it surprised took a photo of my face and I really was at a bad angle and oh. uh, it shot kind of from below. And I, I looked very funny. So I was immediately put in my place right oh, when I got that, here. That so, is humbling. Yeah. It's like being at the uh, <laughs> motor vehicle. Yeah. Any yeah. any unexpected photograph of anybody is a very humbling It's a great experience. equalizer, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. So there's so many things that we could talk about um, uh, um, because you have so many different, you know, areas that are really interesting that I'm interested about comedy and art and I'm... You started out performing as a musician, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I have played in, well, not in years, but from the time I was maybe like 14 or something, I was playing in bands probably so, until I was too old to play in bands, but I haven't done any, Look at the Rolling Stones. <clears throat> when did that happen? I don't know. So is that, were you interested in music before you were interested in art? Um, I, th- I think I was more interested in music as something that I thought that I could uh, pursue simply because it was something a lot of my neighbors did, other people in my town. Even though I grew up in this really small town in northern Michigan, um, I mean, mm-hmm. not super small, it's probably about 20,000 people or something, mm-hmm. but that, that's, you know, compared to New York, that's nothing. How many high schools? Uh, there were two proper high schools, like a West High School, which I went to, mm-hmm. and then another one that was called Central instead of East. I, it had just been called Central beforehand. They didn't change the name afterwards. And then a couple, <laughs> and then a couple like religious high schools, but. Save money on the stationery. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but there were, you know, we had Battle of the Bands and there were one of my neighbors when I was growing up, he was in this band and was kind of like a micro celebrity uh-huh, in town. And uh-huh. he was a couple years older than me, sort of like a de facto big play? brother. Um, I played guitar and I sang, but I can play. Were you the front guy? I was. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> did you um, write any music? Did you write? Yeah. Uh, you wrote the songs? You I did. wrote the lyrics and the music? I did, but I was in uh, the last band, the one that I was in for a while, which was in uh, Tempe, Arizona, which is where I, I went to college. Um, I was in it with this other guy named Mike Jones, not the rapper, but just <laughs> this guy, Mike Jones. And Mike um, and I were kind of uh, co, we, we did everything. He also sang and played guitar. And so we co-wrote everything. And he was a far more talented musician and singer uh, than I was, but he would humor me and combo. let me kind of yell sometimes. So when did, when did you become interested in art? 
Um, I I would draw and stuff when I was younger and was had a Did you certain study aptitude. Art in college? Yeah, I I ended up going to um, art school. I went to Michigan State for two years, and then I transferred to Arizona State. And I was doing printmaking, which uh-huh. uh, was sort of fun. And I think I thought that was maybe a medium that was a little less hoity-toity than painting or sculpture. Why why was hoity-toity an issue and even something that you were thinking about? That's interesting to me. I. I don't know if I was really, really conscious of it, but I just felt like that was the the aesthetic of that was stuff that I responded to as a kid. I really liked rock posters and things like that. And this oh. was and this was a type of art making that came out of oh. typically like mass production. Oh, you wanted to seemed, make rock band posters. I did for a while. And uh, <laughs> well, I was in a rock band. But um, did and, you make your own posters for the band? We did make the posters. Did and stuff you like make that. the posters? I made some of them. Yeah. Yes. But Mike was also a printmaker. So we that's how we met. We met in a printmaker, okay. a woodblock, a wood, a woodblock printing class is where I met him. Um, but I always just thought it was kind of fun. I also liked the act of being able to make a lot of something and trade with people. And I think that's that came cool. out of before the internet when I was, um, I mean, the internet existed, but when I was younger, it was really, I would order zines and uh-huh. I would get a zine and then you could buy like CDs or tapes out of it. And so there was this kind of weird trading okay. cheap economy going on. That. I could see that, how that fed into your work. That's a really yeah. interesting, uh, weird way to develop a creative practice or unique. Did, did, um, do you think some of that was because you were like in a small town and you didn't have access to yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, it was okay. pretty. Uh, huh. There wasn't a lot going on when I was in high school. So my friends and I just invented uh-huh. uh, this thing called we invented a scene. We just made one up and we started. Uh, we found out that you could rent VFW halls or UAW halls or this little opera house in our town for like a few hundred bucks. Oh. And so it's we started. Surprising. Yeah. So we started putting on shows. You know, you charge five bucks for people to come or something. And we'd make enough money to be able to pay a band from Grand Rapids or something to come up. It was kind of big. And so we kind of, we didn't see any type of scene happening besides, like I said, like the Mm -hmm. Battle of the Bands at the high school. There were lots of people playing music, but nothing that was really run by the kids. And so we just sort of put something together. And then uh, that was, I think, my first taste of understanding that if you kind of act like you have your shit together, people will give you more opportunities to keep yeah, proving act, it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. That's an <laughs> obstacle for me, see? <laughs> we, we, would just, we would just send uh, bands an email, um, you know, on AOL, because that's, that's what we had was I had that's AOL pretty... dial-up, and we would send them like a message and say, hey, we've got this, you know, music scene going on up here. We'd love you to play. People really like your stuff because they would sell Michigan mm-hmm. bands, CDs, and well, the record store. When you're in high school, I think people really respond to high school kids, don't you think, too? I think it's a real compliment from a high school kid to reach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I work with uh, teens right now in art oh, education. Do? Yeah, and it's oh. um, it's very, very fun. I mean, I was, a, I was a high school teacher after undergrad for a little while, and I think oh. I, I had this kind of oh. feeling like I was supposed to teach college if I wanted to be taken oh. seriously, and I, I did do that for a long time, but just this last year, I've gotten back into working with high school-age okay. students, and I love it. I'm going to make sure that you meet our station director, Tom Tenney, after this, because we, we want to start a high school program. We are actually starting a high school program, and we need some advice and stuff like that oh so that's I'm cool if i sure. if i don't have the advice i can point you to the smarter people no, but, who do have it but. no see, <laughs> see you're very um self-deprecating because that's Irish what the Catholic. word abject is <laughs> so let's find out um more let's find out more about you so um i was i didn't expect this but you've been in therapy now right for yeah 
About a half a decade. Half a decade. <laughs> and um, tell us how you started therapy. Uh, I started going because around probably 31, I had moved to uh, do a job in Richmond, Virginia at the Virginia Commonwealth University. And um, it was a pretty huge life change. Uh, I had been in Portland, Oregon for about six years before that. And that was where I really kind of, I guess, cut my teeth with uh, like the art community and Mm -hmm. feeling like, oh, I could Mm -hmm. be, I think I can Mm -hmm. be an artist. This is Mm -hmm. actually... And then I went there and I, I had never even been there before I took the job and moved wow. on a plane. Um, Brave. And I got there and I didn't really know anybody and I didn't have uh, any community or friends. And I had also like a, a relationship had ended when I moved there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you felt isolated. Yeah, I'd quit smoking when I went there. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like a, a lot of life changes at once. And mm-hmm. um, typically, and you- I think I've been pretty good at just sort of head down, mm-hmm. barrel through mm-hmm. that. But this was like a... A moment where all of a sudden I realized that uh, I'm not handling this really well, mm-hmm. and maybe it's uh, maybe it's not weird or weak to go talk to somebody. I mean, I definitely right. had that socialization right. that it going to that meant uh, so I, there's a stigma associated with right. It to that's me. a weird thing to do. Yeah, I think especially as um, not to get all gender binary about it, but as a like as a socialized man, I was sort of like, Oh no, is, is there, you know, this or that? And which in hindsight is all bullshit, so, but that it, yeah, it was a bit of yeah, a hurdle to see. get over. I you can, know? Oh, I imagine. So I'm getting this sense that perhaps you're, so you're from a small town in Midwest. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. And uh, Irish Catholic <laughs> is, is there like, I'm getting this sense that there may, may not have been like a lot of creativity um, encouraged in your, or just naturally in your family or what, what was we, your I, Ironically, there was, I mean, I have a really, I have a really wonderful immediate family. Mm-hmm. I'm really fortunate in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was an interior designer. Oh, okay. So we always had so colored pencils go. and stuff like that around the house. Mm-hmm. I would go to yeah. her work sometimes um, when I had summers mm-hmm. off because she had to work all year. And then my dad was a social worker oh, wow. for the local high school. So very kind of creative and empathetic people and wouldn't, I don't think either one of them would have ever called themselves an artist, but my dad had musical instruments in the house and really loved music. And so oh. really supportive environment oh, in that yeah. sense. You're right. Yes. But I think that uh, I had a I felt a distinct learning curve when I went to art school because I, I didn't know anything about art. I, I just, I could draw. And right. at my high school, that was sort of, oh, you can draw. You should right. pursue art. Right. Um, but I didn't know anything about art so, at all or how to talk about it. So what, so did that, so that that make you uncomfortable did you feel like you couldn't ask or did you feel like you were behind or what oh yeah you? i felt like a poser uh, i felt like a definite poser when i went to art school <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well i if i could tell 18 year old me that right now uh-huh. i think that would skip right. a lot of uh bs that i kind of uh <laughs> so how did you manage that did you have friends or did you try to like hide who you were or how'd you manage it um i i just tried to really take my assignment seriously and meet people and learn how to do stuff. But even when I finished, uh, I mean, I transferred schools, but that's just because I wanted to get out of the Midwest. I felt like I was kind <laughs> of in this bubble. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I should have just taken an airplane 45 more minutes to like LA or something. But I had a friend living in Tempe, Arizona. And, you know, I had been out there maybe once uh, to Arizona in my life. And I, I went and it was winter in Michigan and there were palm trees everywhere in Arizona. It was 75 or 80 degrees. And I thought this is 
this is where I got to be. He has a pool at his apartment complex. So, right. That's so I just right. moved out there. But um, I think it was I, I had some aspirant models that were some people who in my program, at Arizona State, were like a few years older than me. They were either graduate students or they were people who just had gone to college a little mm-hmm. later. And they kind of had these really great, you know, their garage, they turned into like a studio at their mm-hmm. house and they were putting on shows at like, you know, I don't know, like goofy places like restaurants or whatever, mm-hmm. but they, they were just like doing stuff. Doing stuff. Yeah. And that and made me, what... and that made me feel like, oh, you can just kind of, there isn't necessarily a code to crack. It's just all these things can exist at the same time. And I don't think I had the vocabulary to articulate it at the time, but it might've mm-hmm. been an early indication to me that um, this concept that I had of what the art world was, um, was certainly fictional. And this idea of it being a monolith is sort of silly because there are all of these art worlds at the same mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. and it's okay to mm-hmm. not participate in, like, I mean, come on, what percentage of people actually show in Chelsea? <laughs> you know, like really out <laughs> of the people. Would, or or even if they do, are are they really artists? <laughs> yeah. And so I think it was really like, I had a lot of, people who I think I've become comfortable with using the term mentor now. Um, yeah, just, you I right. had a lot of mentors, even if they didn't mm-hmm. maybe see themselves as mm-hmm. such, like mm-hmm. definitely some cool older kids that I just kind of like mm-hmm. latched onto, uh, sort of wedged my way into being their roommates, you know, like lived in their houses with them and learned a ton and they kind of showed me how to do things and well, you seem like you're really good at like making things happen, making things happen for yourself and for other people, which um, like it sounds like that seemed like a crazy move to move to. Um, you said you were in our I want to make sure I get this right. You you moved to Arizona or you were in Arizona? I moved to Arizona when I was about 20. In the, but in, you transferred there. Yeah, I transferred the middle so, of college. So in other words, like that might not have been the exact right situation for you but you just did something you are not afraid of doing things right you take i guess so i really thought of it like that which is a really good um the word defense came to mind which sounds has a negative um no no, i know what you mean but it is it is really good so um can i let's talk about what you're in therapy what do you talk about in therapy now let's see if i can do something yeah yeah this is funny because this is um i didn't mention it before we got on the air but this is sort of in a sense the third time I've participated in therapy this week um, and that's because well, yesterday morning I had my like regular you know like I go see um the woman that is my therapist every and, week uh every other week every I can't, other week. I can't that's afford common now. Uh, yeah, yeah I can't afford we, to go every we week all do. Um, <laughs> I would love to go every week um but the night before on Tuesday the show that I had mentioned to you before we hopped on the mics that I had gone to um is this performance artist uh, Becca Kaufman who performs under the name Jennifer Vanilla and she does this monthly uh, at a place called the Windjammer in Ridgewood and I had been meaning to go for a long time and hadn't been able to go but um, I'm actually going to be interviewing her this week and she had uh, this woman Alexandra Tatarski was performing whom I had just yeah, interviewed, interviewed for her, right. my podcast a little bit before that so I was like oh this, I, I gotta go to this and but the premise of their show was that it was a group therapy session. Oh, really? Um, which oh, was, wow, that sounds so cool. Which was really kind of neat and sort of funny because I actually had to leave that early because my therapy session on Wednesdays at eight o'clock in the morning oh. in Dumbo. So I have to get up at <laughs> I have to get up at like six fifteen or six thirty to get there. 
So I couldn't stay through the group one. And then I was just kind of laughing because I was like, oh, and then I'm going on Dr. Now, Lisa on Thursday. So this is. So how did they do it, though? I'm curious about the show. Um, they, so interesting. They most, most of it was sort of like the performers were plants in the audience. Um, and so they were like, they had, you know, these people who were coming forward with like bringing something to group, but they were clearly uh, oh, the people so who were on the bill. Fantasy. But yeah, but they were also like getting people from the audience to talk about stuff and things. But it, it was a it was a really funny format. We all sat in a circle. Um, Sounds very great. weird. Kind of hard to tell where the where the veil was and what, what was real wall. and things like right. that. Yeah. Um, so there was a circle and an audience as well. The audience was this giant uh, circle of people. Was yeah, circle. yeah. Okay, that's what so I was. So it was pretty funny. Wow, I want to. Are they doing it again? I'm going. I don't know if they'll. I think the format might be different every single. Like, um, oh. as I said, this was my first one, so I don't know what the other ones have been like. But I, I've watched videos of them, and I, I don't think that they're all group therapy sessions. Okay, well, but, we're gonna check that out at Win Windjammer. And what's the yeah. artist's name? Uh, Becca Kaufman is Becca her name. Kaufman Jennifer Ed Vanilla is okay. the character name. But Definitely yeah, gonna check I think that it's out. first Tuesdays in the month. So what's going on in therapy right now for you? Um, I, I usually. I can, oh, you want to guess? Say, no, no, I don't want to guess. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I, be, I want to get to the point. I want to work this out. I want to yeah. do the job. I uh, I have depression. And so a lot of, sometimes when I'm doing therapy, it's because I'm having a pretty intense time. Um, and so it's a very like, this feel like I have to go and talk to somebody right, because right. Um, the people around me in my life are extremely generous and wonderful people or they wouldn't be like my loved ones. But um some of the stuff that I need to talk about, I just, I don't want to put it on anybody else. And so yeah. I, I go for that reason. But even, you know, I think, um, I, I don't think that I have a manic depressive kind of, uh, condition, but I certainly do have a spectrum of kind of where I'm feeling, you know, and how I'm feeling. And so even if I'm, if things are going relatively well and I'm feeling pretty good, um, I still think it's important for me to go. Just like somebody said to me once, it's kind of like, you know, just because you're in shape, you don't stop going to the gym. And while right, I don't, I, I don't know that, I don't personally know that, uh, <laughs> that situation, but I, I understand the concept of it. No, I mean, also, I think that's a really good point, guys, um, that, you know, you don't want to put everything on your loved ones because I think that does really hurt a lot of, or that puts a lot of stress on relationships. And I mean, I've certainly done it a lot where, you know, you've got a lot going on in your life and um, that other, those other people, that other significant other or, or whoever, they just, it's not, they can't handle it all. They've got their own shit and it's good to work it out on your independence, work it out on your own. Yeah. To it's some hard, degree. It's hard to remember when it's you who's going through it because I, I've definitely been on the other side of that um, with both like friendship and romantic relationships before where somebody um and now i you know i feel a little bit silly about how i when i was younger the way that i reacted but sometimes i get very frustrated with somebody and just kind of think you know nothing's actually wrong i don't get mm -hmm. what why can't you just see the bigger picture blah 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 and then um the you know the ironic thing was that i would have the exact same thing happen to me but i wouldn't be able to zoom out and think oh weird this is i'm I'm doing exactly yeah. what I just got frustrated with somebody for doing, but Thank so I God think for therapists, yes, yeah, so I think that's where um, that's a useful thing. And I, I, I'm glad that it's been sort of 
socially destigmatized. Uh, oh yeah. Recently. I mean, in my world, you know, well, there. I mean, um, I, I there aren't a lot of stig. I stigmatized. Yeah, th- that's the least of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just inaccessible. I mean, that's the that's unfortunate true, thing. I, that is true. I don't have health insurance. Um, I'm fortunate mm-hmm. that I see somebody who is able to do like a sliding scale thing with me that's, um, you know, income dependent. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely helpful. But I am really, really lucky that, no, that's, that that's the situation because I had insurance when I started going um, and uh, they made a an arrangement with me afterwards, which was, you know, that's great. Really helps, uh, especially when you're transitioning out of having insurance uh, oh <laughs> to be able to continue to see uh, a therapist. Because usually, transitioning out of insurance means something else in your life is happening. So, absolutely. So this has been an intense. So, is your depression um, circumstantial? Do you think, or have you thought? Have you ever? tried medication are you on medication i haven't tried it i'm not um somebody who's opposed to it i I admit uh some ignorance about it in general um i haven't been it hasn't been suggested to me um Mm -hmm. i mean it has but not if, if somebody if somebody that i was speaking to professionally sort of you know sat me down and said i really think that you could benefit from this i i would be open to it right it just had i've had it like mildly suggested but not really like brought up again so do you feel um like is your depression does it come out as anxiety or does it come out as it's a mixture um I think the way that I've tried to describe it before is even if i'm not currently having a depressive episode um it's sort of like this nagging feeling that's going on constantly that's basically saying you know don't get don't get too excited because you know in a couple weeks like this is going to be bad mm-hmm. even if it's like well I don't actually have a thing at the moment that I'm upset about and it's like um you know the way that people describe it often it uh it's difficult to articulate and it might seem irrational because mm-hmm. I've had you know moments where things are technically from an outsider perspective going great but there's just a a weird thing in the back of your head i think when you have depression that basically is consistently telling you that you don't deserve uh happiness if that makes sense or that it will be if you get too happy that there's just going to naturally it's going to even itself out no well see here's the (laughs) thing i have no i have no formal training and i'm i'm in no position to really say any of this but uh except that uh i'm here saying it but um i think that um if you have like you're describing sort of a feeling of dread almost and if that's constant no matter what that's the kind of stuff that i think medication can help i've actually i was actually an inpatient in study on medication really on prozac in the 80s whoa really old so and I I had struggled with depression and then and my father had serious depression. So medication and I mean medication helped me, but I also had a lot of other emotional issues. But um, I don't think I'd be as functional as I am now if I hadn't. Had, you seem like really highly functional. I don't know if, you know I don't know how depressed you are, but if it's a constant feeling that could that could be an indication that medication could be helpful i think interesting yeah i mean i have a i think i have a pretty high functioning 
capacity, um, regardless of, mm-hmm. kind of I, I don't think that most people around me would have, except those closest to me would have any idea, um, what's going on. I'm pretty good at, uh, Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, had this brought up to me before by people that it's uh, almost weird or unsettling that I can be having essentially like a, a not a mild, like a serious anxiety attack and like be very, very, very upset and really like kind of losing my shit. But if people are coming over, like the second the doorbell rings, I can just like snap and like put on a, you yeah. know, like put on, yeah, hey, what's up? And what like I'm have getting. somebody come in and it, that's a, um, I had always thought for most of my life, I was like, well, that's cause I'm, that's, that's good. That's good that I can do that. And then I've had, you know, plenty of people tell me like, it's kind of a weird. No, I could see you being like that. Well, I to mean, just like flip on a dime because I'm in, I'm being, um, I'm not really being myself at that moment. I think I'm being, un, I'm not being disingenuous in an attempt to like fool somebody, but I'm, I'm. I'm trying to be play like host or play like this or that. And well, so you're being so. self-protective. Yeah. Do you feel responsibility for other people? Did you feel any mm. responsibility for people growing up or making things happen? Um, maybe. I mean, I haven't really sussed that out, but I could, I could see where that's a thing. I mean, I, I feel a lot of like proxy anxiety. What does that mean? Like anxiety mean for other people. And which, how would that be in your family? Um, I don't know. Did your mom have like presentations or... I mean, mm-hmm. they sound like great parents. They sound a lot more open-minded than I initially guessed. Yeah, they, they are great. Um, I think I... I don't know. Like, I mean, I feel insane anxiety constantly that one of them is going to die and leave the other one. And then I don't live anywhere near them. And I haven't for my entire Your adult life. Your brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have two younger sisters. They both live in Denver. Um, and my folks still live in Michigan. So there's this like... Are you the oldest? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so there's a weird thing constantly where I'm also just like, I haven't lived near my parents in uh, 15 years. Um, and they're, I mean, they're like, they like run five miles a day. They're like very, <laughs> they're like, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there's still a just this weird thing that I feel anxiety for other people. Like when I watch somebody getting dragged on social media, I, I'm like uh, really upset mm-hmm. for them, like upset on behalf of them or something. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not if that not if they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, sometimes people. Um, so, so did you play the older brother role? Uh, I suppose so. I mean. I am the older brother. But. Right. No, but I mean, did you take responsibility for your siblings? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I babysat them and stuff like that, but they're both very independent people and didn't need, um, I never felt like I had to like protect them right. in any way because my sis- they're also not that much. I mean, my youngest sister is only five years younger than me, so I'm 35. She's 30. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So we weren't that far apart in age, right. so we were sort of... <clears throat> peers in a certain sense but I was definitely their older brother but I'd never had to uh I never really had to kind of like look out for them necessarily so here's what I'm here's what I'm wondering about I'm wondering about um if your family uh always like acted there's something about you or your I'm wondering about your upbringing if there's a way of acting appropriately that was very important in your background Mm. acting appropriately like manners or how so 
Uh, all of that. Like, um, I don't even know. Like, you know, it may it may be so ingrained. I mean, some of that sounds like the small town Midwest. Like, don't mm. don't be rude. Like, mm. like the idea of whatever it is, don't be rude. I think there's like a there's an uncommunicated kind of Midwest Irish Catholic stoicism that's I think ingrained. Like uh, I've never seen either of my parents cry. Okay. Um, just uh, they don't really react like that to things. Right. They're sensitive people, but right. they don't like. I never saw them fight. Um, yeah. They don't really. I mean, they like will. You know, my dad. Uh, he like won't listen to map directions while he's driving so there'll be like a moment where it's like you know it's like oh my god like and they'll have like a a thing but it's Uh not you know what i mean like i and that's what i meant earlier when i said that i was fortunate like my parents as models of kind of how to sort of like solidify a family were very uh very put together and not in a way that seemed forced Mm -hmm. like they still spend all their time now they just go on road trips. They have like a little trailer and they drive it around the country and they Sounds go to like awesome. different places. So they're just like old. Do they ever come he- have them come here? They came here a little while ago. They came last fall, but they only came as far as the Adirondacks. So I went up oh, and I that's... camped with them, which was fun. Do you miss them a lot? Yeah. yeah I mean, I... is that a really, is that way, does that weigh on you that you don't see them more? Yeah. I mean, not more than moving back to a small town, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I'd have any, one. I wouldn't have a lot of career uh, prospects no, in Traverse City, in Michigan your, right now. But So um, I have to do a station ID because I want to remind people that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, which is so amazing. It's such a great station. We, You know what's so great about the station, honestly, is inclusion. We have 70 different kinds of shows and like you could just listen to us at any time and get like something different and... It's a really great station, and uh, we just moved to a new place, and we need we need like rugs, and 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 we are really poor. We're really, really, really poor. So if you can help keep us going, go to our Patreon page. That's RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash Patreon, and you know, send us some love. Just the support helps, even if it's like a dollar, it makes us feel good. We'll talk about it at the meeting and then give you a shout out on the air. I promise. I will personally. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm wondering if that's a cultural thing where there's like, how would somebody like you feel when you got to like, um, you know, art school, like from such a sort of background? Like, But also what I was starting to think is, are your parents sort of like hiding, not hiding, but I mean, is that three dimensional? Is that real that they don't argue or they don't, you know, that you didn't see your mom cry? Like, is that real? Yeah. My mom's not a crier. It's just not in her DNA. I don't think. Um, and no, they're very, they're very three dimensional people. And we still have like weird, like there are like weird things about them that my sisters now, you know, joke about and stuff like, I mean, everybody's pretty, open with each other and they're very supportive it's just like a it's just like a thing where i mean i don't really know how to describe it It was totally normal to me growing up and i think that uh i was pretty blown away when i would go to somebody's house whose parents were like screaming at each other i was just like do they seriously do that Mm -hmm. like while you're here Mm -hmm. in front of you um Mm -hmm. and i feel really thankful that my folks didn't do that but they also didn't i mean they were pretty they were pretty pragmatic in terms of like the way that we lived never created those situations that I saw in 
that sometimes led to conflicts in other families where like money wasn't handled properly mm-hmm. or somebody did this or that. Mm-hmm. And let's be real. I feel like with marriages, like money is the mm-hmm. root of a lot of the arguments. Mm-hmm. And I think they were just re- like, we just didn't live beyond our means. Mm-hmm. And we certainly weren't, uh, we certainly didn't really have money, so were, but we weren't, I didn't feel poor right, either. They were pragmatic. Yeah. They just like bought reliable. a house. Yeah. They bought a house in 1978. We never moved. They had it paid off before I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. They stayed at their jobs for, mm-hmm. 30 years or something and now they're uh now they're just road tripping yeah it sounds it sounds like a very stable environment yeah it's kind of weird um which i think was part of the reason that it felt like uh what did, what am i trying to say here it felt greedy to have depression oh does that make sense yeah like, self-indulgent yeah yes it felt very much like that and then i think i found this book that I'd gotten in a sociology sociology class mm-hmm. my freshman year of college mm-hmm. that we read that was called Saint Scholars and Schizophrenics. And it's uh, a book that it, it's a document of uh, mental illness in rural Ireland mm-hmm. and kind of how undiagnosed and how mm-hmm. traumatic and intergenerational mm-hmm. all this poverty and things like that mm-hmm. was and the famine. And I'm not trying, I'm not one of those people who's like on Facebook being like, you know, the Irish were slaves once because <laughs> that's not true. And Irish people are not marginalized. Um, But just sort of an interesting history uh, culturally of like alcoholism and Mm -hmm. poverty Mm -hmm. and uh, Catholicism, which Mm -hmm. is just like, shut up. Right. Don't. We don't talk about this. You know, go pray. Or if you do something bad. And then the weird like being able to be absolved of anything that you've done by going (laughs) to confession is like profoundly insane to me. Um, were but, you brought up in a religious environment? Did your family go to church every week? Yeah, we went to church every week, but they're Irish Catholic, which I think is uh, more self-punishing than spiritual. Like, so, it's like, why do we have to go to church? Well, I had to go to church when I was your age. Like, we don't say grace. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a Jesus mm-hmm. hanging on the wall. We, I don't recall a Bible being in my home. I mean, right. I went to Catholic school. Right, um, right. And... There's a certain discipline to all. Yeah, that. and I was an altar boy, and oh. uh, my parents were very, like, I mean, I didn't think about it till I was older, but I just remember at one point, like, these two priests left the, and I don't know, I mean, I'm just, like, imagining, but these two priests that were the priests at my elementary school's associated parish, mm-hmm. both were just moved to Hawaii, like, just out of nowhere, like, oh, late 80s, weird. I mean, He's pretty par for the course for Catholic churches. I don't know, you know, I don't know what they're doing. So I'm not going to say like their names or the name of the parish or something, but they just disappeared. That's so weird. And then this new priest arrived and my parents were just like, we we don't like him. They just didn't like him and they wouldn't ever tell us why. And so we ended up, we would drive 20 miles outside of town. child molester. I think that's, I think they suspected that that might be what was going on. Um, And I don't know if it was. Um, Mm. And, but we would drive 20 miles outside of town and I would go and be an altar boy at this other church called St. Joseph's with this guy, um, Father Fred, who just like ruled. Like if he, like, you know, like Catholics are all about service and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. but really it's all bullshit Mm -hmm. and everybody like thinks Catholics are hilarious and like a joke. Mm -hmm. Um, This guy was like a a really good person. Yeah, yeah. And like I really looked up to him and I thought he was cool. And I mean, he was old, but Mm -hmm. he ran this thing called the Father Fred Foundation that I, even when I was like, completely secularized by high school um i would Mm -hmm. still go volunteer at the father fred foundation it was basically this giant 
thrift store, but everything was free mm-hmm. and anybody could come. And I mean, it was, you know, it was an honor system. You, really you cool. showed your, you showed your ID so they could kind of, mm-hmm. you know, if it was somebody mm-hmm. who came in six times a week and was only taking like vintage clothes, mm-hmm. they'd be like, why don't you not come back? But, um, so we went out to church there. So I, I actually had a really, I had kind of a cool experience being an altar boy. I really yeah, liked working cool. with Father Fred and yeah. he would. Was he like a mentor? You seem to have mentors. Yeah, a little bit. He was like super nice. But somebody and just that like, you respected. Yeah, and didn't make me do confession or any of this other stuff and wasn't yeah. weird and didn't like. Had a cool attitude. Yeah, he was just nice and like was just into like spreading the word, but not mm-hmm. like a jerk about mm-hmm. it or whatever. He only preached from the pulpit and then mm-hmm. just like knocked it off and could be social and That's like cool. did all this stuff for the community. And then he passed away. But it was a. Uh, he was like a cool dude, and I think that I was fortunate that I didn't have uh, the experience that a lot of other people had growing up religiously. Because even though I think some of the larger things about Catholicism, I always joke or like, "Oh, well, I'm Irish Catholic, so of course I feel like shit because I just, you know, got right. a paycheck or something, right. so I feel <laughs> right. bad about it." But right. Um, right. It, all things considered, it was relatively mellow. But again, that that's sounds, where this like... Yeah, I could see that. The so, idea of feeling bad seemed self-indulgent yeah. later. And also, I'm wondering if your parents didn't have like... I mean, not that it's necessarily bad, but I don't think you might have been exposed to like a huge range of emotions, good and bad. You know, No, not particularly. So, so they may... Especially in the world that you're functioning in, you're much more likely to see all this stuff and it might may... You know, imagine you're excited by it but it also is probably not always comfortable yeah well i think i was very when i mentioned earlier that it all sort of came to a head when i moved to virginia it was also the first time that i didn't have like a fuck ton of stuff going on all the time Mm -hmm. which is a really easy distraction so even if you're feeling you know i I remember feeling this way in high school and things but i was also like Mm -hmm. playing in a band i was playing soccer i was like in I wasn't in Alter Point High School, um, <laughs> but I was just like in student government. Like oh, I just had a lot of stuff yeah, going on. Yeah. I was like the token illustrator and I didn't get elected in. I was, it was pure nepotism. The kids who got elected uh, put me in student government because I could mm-hmm. draw the stuff for the floats and the other things like oh, that. So I got like well. an honorary. I was like the cultural attache. Or but something. you could work <laughs> with them. So what's going on in your life? Right now, what 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 do you what's the biggest stressor in your life right now? Do you think um, the biggest stressor in my life right now? Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of trying to think about when. Uh, you know, I said earlier. You know, I played in bands until it was like too late to play in bands or something. Mm-hmm. And so, even though I know that that's not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, a germane thing to be asking myself. I think a lot of it with art has to do with that. And I'm kind of wondering what is the, and a lot of it is outside of just my own personal thing, but like what's the value of uh, art right now, especially contemporary art and living in a place like New York City and mm-hmm. wondering if that's, you know, I mean, is that the hill I want to die on? Um, so like being a cheerleader for art and I love art and I love going to see art and I love my mm-hmm. friends who are artists and stuff but mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm sure a lot of I've had conversations with people, I think a lot of people feel like this but like is this the with the state of uh the world is this like not a little bit self-indulgent but then again it's like it brings mm-hmm. me a lot of joy and it connects me with people that I love you, and think are super cool. You know, there's an interesting word you use, cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And that brought me back to um, <laughs> why are you laughing? Because I feel like I'm a cheerleader for a lot no, of stuff. No, but see, this is what's interesting because and listening to one of your 
uh, an old interview and doing my research on you, as I meant, I mentioned before you came in, um, that you had a professor that said you had done a character and you didn't put your name on it. And I wonder, and I've been wondering this, if there's some way that you don't make where you are not the center of the work, where a lot of the work is helping. I mean, you do great things and you pick great people, but a lot of it is, um, and I, I do this too. I mean, a lot of this is about the other artists, but it's not really you. You know what I'm saying. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, I wonder if there if you miss the reward that you would get by it being about you more. I don't know if... I think that the thing is, is that I see other people who are so good at things that I respect and I would rather watch them do their thing and if uh and maybe try to help create a context for that to happen because I just know that they're going to do it better than I can do it um uh-huh. and that's and I think I tried to you had asked me before we started if I had tried to like pursue stand up profess what I wanted to do and when I was younger, like, yeah, I was like, I could be a stand-up comedian and stuff, but I'm not like great at it. I'm really, I really enjoy like once a year I write mm-hmm. like a long performance piece that is structured mm-hmm. around a thing. I make a bunch of objects and I do like one a year and it makes me feel great and I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And I usually am sometimes playing a character and things like that, mm-hmm. but that's like, I got to spend a lot of time on it and all these mm-hmm. things. And the rest of the year though, I think that because I never really developed a, a practice of uh, I, I have some friends who have this practice where th- they feel a compulsion to paint all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. They've got to make paintings. And I just, I don't feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of lost that with uh, like playing music. I mm-hmm. don't feel a compulsion to pick up an instrument and write music. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to a lot, mm-hmm. but I think as I'm getting older now, I have, there's all this stuff that interests me and people that I'm interested in. So I just kind of want to like, tag along and like I said before be a cheerleader for them Mm -hmm. so it's like the whole reason to do uh the human the abject podcast that I do is like I mean it's both a a thing to promote other people's stuff that I love but it's also a little bit selfish like I want to sit down with these people and talk for an hour Mm -hmm. like I want to pick somebody's Mm -hmm. brain and Mm -hmm. and get to know them and like Mm -hmm. and be cool by proxy you know Mm -hmm. just by like my being like oh like this person I I got to interview them and they're cool and now we're buddies and uh-huh. Whatever is like is actually super rewarding to me. Like no, and I get that. I'm just, I mean, um, I'm just so. Okay, so um, I'm Sean Patrick, Sean J. Patrick Carney's advocate, uh-huh. and I think that he has what it takes to be be alongside of those people. Oh, thanks. Sometimes I get to be, and I, but I, I feel like I only. But I wonder if it's, there's some, I, you, okay, so here, here's a thought. I'm not right. I don't know anything. Uh, I have no training. But here's a thought. The thought is that um, you've, you've talked, I've noticed that you talk about being selfish a lot. Uh-huh. I think that. <laughs> I feel really selfish. And that, I'm wondering if that's getting in your way. I think that that's part of, uh, that maybe you're up. Catholic upbringing and it is it is awesome but we all know like all the people that I think all the people that and I'm attracted to the same people for the work or their work 
not just them, their work, same thing, uh, have a, quite a bit of selfishness, no? <laughs> I think when it's uh, instrumentalized properly, it's really great. And I, I, admire, I admire that. In I do too. But I'm wondering if you have um, some inner conflict about what your idea of being selfish is and what it really means and all that stuff. Is that something you've thought about? Mm, I don't think that I've let myself think about it, but I think it's sort of creeped in here and there, uh-huh. but I've gone, go away. <laughs> yeah, I think that, see, when I'm, what, this is what I'm thinking. When you started talking about one of the things about art is that you uh, don't know if it's what the way that I interpret it. Like, is there any meaning in this? Is there any meaning in like being involved in all this crap that no one gives a shit about why we're going to be blown up by Kim Jong-un? Okay. And, but then I also wonder at the same time, if there's something, I feel frustrated on your behalf. I, I am in your role many, many times and I feel frustrated on your behalf because I think that um, I think that you may be missing a connection with your own work by the role that you are comfortable in, which is a non-selfish role. Hmm. And I, I mean, I'm just no. That's a good point. Crap. <laughs> I, I think I've been no, but I think I've. That's a good point, and I feel like I've been trying to figure out how to. So I, I've been a teacher for a while, but I also, you know. For years, I did arts administration because that's like that's how you get a full time job at a sure. college. You and teach you're a little bit. It. You're great at it. Look what you do for the Bruce. This guy made the. We were just. He's the Bruce High Quality Foundation owes so much to this guy. I'm telling you, <laughs> well, he really did some really great shit. With Andrea them. Arubla too, who was also okay. Uh, well, let go well and, before her time. No, but, but really, see but that I, you couldn't just. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it would, right. Sorry, it I'll would be up. it would be ridiculous not to okay. acknowledge her. Like. She's great. Uh, incredible She's great impact too. on okay. that. Um, but I think, though, that those I, and maybe. And so I think something that I noticed in other people around me and some of it has to do with I'm a few years older than some of the people that I kind of hang out with. And, I get that. Look, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to me, honey. But uh, but I noticed that, you know, this thing that everybody sort of says, you know, in college, nobody taught me how to do this or this. And it has to do with just like ways to sort of. uh basically just like keeping a calendar or organizing things or doing all keeping up with emails doing all these things that um i think uh don't come second nature to everybody and for some reason i have an aptitude for mm-hmm. anal retentive mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that it's probably why i like editing a podcast mm-hmm. like because it's yeah. just um, i just sit there and uh, but, that would make me crazy <laughs> but i think that the uh i have been trying to figure out and ever since i interviewed anna fabrega whom i love mm. and I put out a couple books for her and she called me a comedy administrator. I've been thinking about, I've obviously gravitated more towards comedy than art in, mm-hmm. I don't know, over the last 15 years or so mm-hmm. while keeping a foot in both camps because I do love both. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started to think about, you know, in the way that conceptual artists of the 60s and things like that, or even relational aesthetics, like, can I do something that's like that, that instead of instrumentalizing other people to make my work for me, like, is part of my practice that I can do this, this like kind of dorky stuff that other people don't want to do. <laughs> and if I can do that and I get to go along for the ride and have fun and be sort of part of this scene, then I, I'm, I'm interested in doing that. But it would be, it would be untruthful of me to say that sometimes I don't wish like, Oh man, I wish I was on this lineup. 
Like, you of, do cor- wish oh, that. of course. Of course yeah. you do. But every time that it's done, I'm like, oh man, that was like, I could never be as funny as like Lorelai Ramirez. Like, I could never even come close, but I get to, sometimes I perform with her. Like, mm-hmm. we will do stuff together. And I just like, I just kind of try to organize the thing and see if I can find us money so they can get paid. Mm-hmm. But I know better than to think that, like, these people have this knack that I understand and can intellectualize everything that they do. Mm-hmm. They just can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's something that I know that it's like, I'm not going to just pick that up. Mm-hmm. I think I can, I think I can do some things, but I don't know. It's an interesting See, question. Here, here's what I'm thinking when you're saying that. Cause I, you know, I feel that way a lot too. And I watch, you know, I perform and I look at like somebody like those guys that you just mentioned. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> um, but, um, and, and it is great to be doing what you're doing, but I also wonder if there's part of you that there is, there is something that you could own that you would be um, standing out all on your own. And I think like, you know, I feel that way too. I'm going to relate to you uh, totally. But then I think about um, the stuff that I do on my own that has nothing to do with other people or isn't really, it's so not in competition with, because I'm competitive, it makes me crazy, all that stuff. So I do stuff that, if I do something that I feel good about, even though it's not relatable to what anybody else is doing, then I at least go like, I made that, that's good, that happened, I made that happen, okay, I feel good. So when I see other people who are better than me in everything, then I go, well, I can do this. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And actually, you know, it's helpful that, you, that you're uh, sussing this out because I think now that you're saying that, that when the Bruce High Quality Foundation University closed in August, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this thing that has really defined my entire network in New York and how mm-hmm. I met people is going away. Um, you know, one part of me was sad and one part was really excited. And I think that's where I got the energy to do humor in the abject as Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. kind of what I was Mm -hmm. focusing on. And so while it's a lot of it's writing about other Mm -hmm. people's work and a lot of it is interviewing other people, Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely like it feels like mine, which Bruce Mm -hmm. High Quality never did. Okay. Um, Humor in the abject really feels like mine and this thing that I'm making. And for anybody who's ever listened to a podcast episode, like I am interviewing somebody but the bulk of the the like 20 hours that goes into every episode you know there's like really? research and there's all they're this stuff great. but they're so good but it's like an excuse for me to make sound art i oh. mean like a quarter of every episode is just insane oh. sound collages that i'm making no show has the same intro no show has the same fake sponsors oh, no show has like about that yeah those are every one of those is made up for the person i mean they're made sort of as like a little tribute and like a thank you to the people that I had on. But they're also like very much like, oh my God, I I just remembered this song. I found the instrumental for it. And it would be hilarious if I mixed it with this ad for Quiznos or something and then did all this other stuff on top of it. So it's it's very like sculptural and related to music for me. But it gets to be this kind of like, it's there, but it's not like the focus is me talking to the person. For a listener. For sure. I'm sure there are a lot of people that just skip or like, oh my God, he's doing the intro no, and like I was, skip over it. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I listened to two episodes recently and I was because conf- I, I making guess. this thing, which takes no tech, well, very little, nothing like yours. I mean, I was a little like, 
is he doing this for every episode? Yeah, They're yeah. Different. Yeah, I'm doing my... I mean, it's extreme what you're doing. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm working on the 37th one right now, and every one of them is... I mean, there's probably about 12 to 14 minutes on each one of just, like, really intense sound collages. Yes. I mean, and it's like, if you... I think they sound sort of maybe a little bit... I think they sound silly and weird, but I... I hope that they come across as not like noise. They're ho- they're highly original, and see, this is what I'm thinking now. We only have three minutes left, so we got <laughs> our time. We're gonna. Have I to feel like we, I feel like we've gotten somewhere though, because okay. I hadn't I hadn't really said out loud that 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 those are like my babies. Okay. Like I love no, making. That's those. really great. That's really great. But I so can't now I can't show if, sound art. That's no, like but, I would be. So, no, I would make fun of myself. Say, but see, the whole thing is it's it's. It's all about the process that you're, I think, you know, it's about the process you're connected to. And you were talking about something in the process of what you're doing that you're connected to. So say you made up a character and you were the person you were interviewing or you got rid of the interview. That was part. my thesis in grad school was podcasts where I played all the characters. Right. So now it's <laughs> I'm just yeah, doing it for real. You made, <laughs> what if you made some stuff like I'm just saying, could there be growth for you? Yeah. If you made some stuff, maybe sound, maybe you could make something that to start with the sound, the thing that you love, the thing that you own, the thing that you're special at. You are special at this. I haven't heard anybody do anything like this because it's intense and crazy and <laughs> obsessive. So you're obsessive about that. And if you focused on that area and developed that uh, and made that more a bigger part of your practice and found out how you could present it, then that might actually make you a better interviewer because yeah. you'd be like, I'm good at this. Like yeah. you're good at stuff and you're hiding behind, you're, you're, you're behiding it. That's my, 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 that's my analysis. I will say that I don't not have a Google doc of things that I just haven't done that are things kind of like what you're saying. That I was like, I should do this and I should do this, but this is the first time I've said it out loud. Shut is horrible. Yeah, yeah. Shut is horrible. I mean, but the thing is, it's like, I don't think, I also think that you're looking at it from the point of view of something solid that you have to make, something disciplined, something organized. And I'm saying you already talked about this thing that's fabulous. What if you figured out a way just to take that and shape it in some other form that doesn't involve somebody else's fabulousness besides yours. That's true. I could just make a record. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, if you start out doing that or whatever, make, you know, make a few songs or, you know, play whatever, play them as songs on your show. And then uh, that'll lead somewhere. It's not the end goal. It's just getting, getting, getting away from, just being, just be fucking selfish. I was just going to say, am yeah. I, you're telling me to be selfish. Yes, I like that. Yes. <laughs> okay. And we have 30 seconds left. So I just <laughs> want to remind everybody, uh, thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm so glad that we got to spend this time together today. Go to our website. Go to... Sh- Dr. Lisa gives a shit.